Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be reviewing the entirety of the Eastrail 177 trilogy. Uh, so I'll be re returning to Split, as well as covering Unbreakable and this weekend's new release, Glass. And then I also got the chance to see The Favorite as well. So let's get started. A lot of people are going to die. Now, who'd like a PB and J sandwich? <laughs> We are not meant to have this much power. Finally, all of us together for the world to see what we are capable of. You need to get out of here. What have you done, Elijah? Like I mentioned, uh, I've been doing the podcast long enough that I was already uh, able to review Split, uh, which I'll get into. But uh, I revisited Unbreakable as well in the lead up to Glass. And, well, um, I think I'm probably going to be in a minority opinion on this. I don't know. I don't know how, uh, what, where the, where the feet, where all the numbers are in terms of this. But I... I don't like Unbreakable as much as I thought I did. I thought it was one of the, you know, I, I think it's kind of accepted knowledge that uh, Shyamalan started off great with Sixth Sense and then Unbreakable was also good. But upon returning it, I think all the, you know, the, that entire two decades of movies that you kind of started to see Shyamalan's um, certain ticks, certain style choices, you kind of start to see those stand out that Unbreakable didn't hold up as well as I thought it did. Uh, I mean, it's not terrible, like, compared to, say, Lady in the Water or, uh, um, I didn't see The Village, so I can't compare that, but especially, like, The Happening or The or the Last Airbender. It's not as bad as those, but, yeah, you start, I think this is where you really start to see uh, Shyamalan's uh, foibles appear on screen for the first time you have uh really long extended periods of awkwardness and dead bad dialogue delivery some some of them are great uh you had the uh sort of reference to the george reeve superman scene where uh bruce willis's son pulls a gun on him thinking he's gonna uh thinking he's gonna take the bullet and bruce willis has to talk him down bruce willis uh, he's still doing a decent job as an actor, but I don't think he's... I think this is where you really start to see he's not as great of an actor as people think he is. And, uh... But in, in the meantime, Sam Jackson is phenomenal. Because I don't think there's ever been a movie where Sam Jackson was bad in it, you know? The movie may not be the best thing, but uh, Sam Jackson is good. Because Sam Jackson is amazing. But, uh... It, and compared to, uh... Lady in the Water, where the meta-commentary was uh, egregious and very terrible. Here, Sam Jackson's basically like a comic book nerd who's trying to uh, trying to express the idea that maybe comic books are not as fictional as we thought they were. And it's an interesting idea, and it, it, it plays out really well as like a sort of really down-to-earth... Uh, more realistic take on superheroes for the most part, but at the same time, like the kid actor isn't all that great. Uh, Robin Wright is pretty good, um, and then the whole reveal at the end is kind of silly. So I mean, even though it, I mean, 
it just because it's more realistic and down to earth doesn't mean it's not you know kind of it doesn't mean it doesn't have its point where points where it goes over the top but i think i think uh for me upon rewatching it uh there it you start to really see Shyamalan's style stick out and for me that's just not something that really works i think he's i think he's not that great at directing actors and he's not that great of a storyteller ultimately he's got great ideas but i think he i think the you know they ne- it's sort of still raw material ultimately you need somebody to kind of hammer that down into into something really really nice looking you know uh upon returning to split though i i hate it just as much as ever i do not get the appreciation for this movie cuz all the only thing good about it is uh his um McAvoy who's basically doing acting exercises uh I mean it's not like he's a ter- you know I'm not we're not going to say he's a terrible actor because he's not a bad actor in this he's just doing acting exercises ultimately you know he's just proving that hey this kid went to acting school or this this guy knows how to switch from character to character so it's not like he's a terrible actor or anything but were you watching it Anya Taylor-Joy is just a life suck. She is such a... She just sucks all of the energy out of the room. And, uh, you know, now that I'm rewatching with the twist in mind, stuff starts to really click in. I mean, by this point, you already know the twist. It's tied into the Unbreakable universe. And now... um, Betty Buckley's uh, whole thing of like, oh, what if this, dis- what if people with mental disorders are superheroes thing is, starts to really make more sense now that she's talking about it. Whereas when you, when you didn't know that was coming, it sounded really offensive. It's still pretty bad, but it, it cause Shyamalan has no real comprehension of how mental illness works and this is all played up to all sorts of egregious you know, arguably ableist stereotypes, and not to mention the fact that the whole Patricia character, you could argue, is transphobic. Uh, it's hard. So much of it is based around stereotypes that you can't tell what's offensive or not. Because I mean, you can take offense to it just because it's so egregious. But I don't know, and ultimately, it isn't good enough to overcome those stereotypes. Because usually you can have a stereotype in a movie and overcome it with good writing, good character delivery, whatnot. I don't think Split does that. At least not for me. Uh, Not to mention the fact that the whole thing about uh, Anya Taylor-Joy and her connection, which we'll get into in Glass, with uh, Kevin uh, is due to her abuse. And, like, the whole bit twist there... The whole twist in this movie before the reveal being that Anya, that uh, Casey is basically pure because she was she was abused as a child. Oh, so she gets to live while the other two girls have to die because she was a, she was an abuse victim like Kevin. Okay, yeah, yeah, she is pure. Yeah, uh, yeah, great. That's, that's uh, yeah, people with 
abuse. People who have suffered abuse are better than the rest of us. Cool, cool, cool thing there. Yeah, that's that's a great thing to tell people. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a nice sentiment, I guess, and it makes sense compared when you consider Kevin was an abuse victim as well. So one of his personalities is going to let an abuse victim go. But at the same time, that's it. Just really, really terribly handled, I think. And I feel like there's just a better way that you could have done it rather than just the way it was written and delivered and uh, shot. Uh, I also don't get how Hedwig is nine years old because I've met nine-year-olds and he acts more like a toddler. Like, he should be more like a five-year-old. Wouldn't that, I feel like that would make more sense. But he – he or like a almost – I don't know. He me- mentally, the way he's uh, delivering uh, the role is it, it is more like a like a five year old than a nine year old, at least in my understanding of it. Uh, but yeah, it. That's mention the fact that oh, he has over twenty identities, and it's like we only get to see like a couple of them. So where are these other identities you're talking about? It, it's just ultimately really poorly handled movie. And, yeah, the twist, like, people are like, oh, the twist, it's all part of the Unbreakable Universe. No, that, that doesn't make you, that doesn't make the rest of the movie good. Just because it's like, oh, now it's part of a bigger cinematic universe. You still got a really crappy entry into the cinematic universe. Just because it's part of Unbreakable doesn't mean make this now good. It just makes this now part of the Unbreakable franchise. Uh, which ultimately leads us to our new release this weekend. Our only new release, actually, for all of MLK Weekend, which is interesting. Uh, normally, MLK, because it's a four-day weekend, they'll release a couple of movies, maybe. Here, we've only got one, and it's Glass. And I gotta say, it's more like Unbreakable. It's more in line with that, because we're bringing back uh, Bruce Willis's character, and because we're bringing back Sam Jackson. So a lot of the threads from Unbreakable are back. But when it ties into Split, I check out because – especially now that basically you've got an underage girl. Because that's the thing. Uh, Casey's in high school. And as far as we know, she's still in high school. She hasn't moved on to college. And she is – and they imply that she should set up a romantic interest – she set up as some sort of romantic interest for Kevin who is clearly an adult. And that's really creepy. What the hell? Um, so yeah, the parts with split, dealing with split, I don't like at all. Meanwhile, they bring the son back, uh, and he is, uh, better, actually. I think he's a better actor now than he was as a kid. And he's like sort of the, uh, Oracle or the, what's his name from Kim Possible? Uh, you know, he's the, he's the guy behind the scenes helping his dad fight crime. And... Here you they try to acknowledge that oh uh, uh, Bruce Willis's character is starting to show his age. He's not as quick as he used to be, but he's still pretty strong. And he's you know, now he's after now that he knows about the horde. Uh, Kevin kept the you know Kevin. He wants to go after him. And then that's when Sarah Paulson comes in as sort of this psychiatrist who wants to dissuade them from being. Uh, you know, from thinking that from the idea that they think that they're superheroes and that they're that they are something out of a comic book, and that's sort of the main thrust of the movie. After that, first act is Joseph and Kevin meeting up, and 
and and fighting and having a f- initial fight it's not that great ultimately it's pretty badly shot for a 20 million dollar movie this is very poorly shot like unbreakable i think was able to handle fight scenes way better 20 years ago uh almost and here it's just re- like either like i think um this was co-production of blum with blumhouse and really um Compared to Blumhouse's other uh, another Blumhouse production upgrade, this clearly is poorly shot. It doesn't matter the you don't need a budget to shoot right to shoot correctly. But but Shyamalan decided not to do that for some reason, and uh, the climactic fight is actually a lot worse ultimately. But um, I'll get into that. Uh, yeah, it, I don't like Anya Taylor Joy. I. Whatever I think she was good in the witch, the witch, the uh, I but I that was so I feels like so long ago, and the only times I've seen her since are in these bad movies where she's just kind of staring doe eyed into the camera like she has no idea what's going on. It's really it's it, it she needs she needs like a like she needs like something like a like Dakota Johnson or Kristen Stewart did where they she needs to get out of this role and get into something where she can sink her teeth into it um also when my nephew and I were watching the trailers for this we thought that was like his sister or something but no uh, Elijah's mom is still alive uh, and she looks like she's the same age as Samuel L Jackson which is really weird like you couldn't find an older actress you just Took somebody who's the exact same age and put some put a wig on her. It's this is the best she could do. I mean, great that you brought the same actress back, but she's the same. Like even when even in a uh, even in Unbreakable, like you couldn't have get somebody a little bit older. Like I don't. Uh, it's it's really bad, man. And Bruce Willis is better than usual comparatively. At points, but a lot of the best points from Bruce Willis are actually from deleted scenes that were carried over from Unbreakable, and there's stuff that there it's just there's a lot of reused footage from Unbreakable in this to pad out the runtime, and it's it's not it's really it's a hot hot mess of a movie, and um yeah it's it, it and then the biggest problem with it. Is that it's Lady in the Water levels of meta 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 text about superheroes, which in two thousand was was when was before was before even the first Spider Man movie came out. This was when X Men was like the the new hotness, uh, the 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 huge yeah the. The you know the, the old X Men movies, the Brian Singer ones were the new hotness, and like the best superhero movies that were coming out at the time was like Blade. So when he did it, then it made sense. It was like it was like trying to you know hype up superhero movies in a more realistic setting. In the age of the MCU and the success of DC movies now, and like even if you don't like them, they're still mega successful and superhero. Movies are in a good spot right now. So to be like, hey, so to be like a comic book, to be, go full comic book guy from the Simpsons level of actually, if you look at comic books and you, and you talk about the, 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 there are two types of villains in comics. You have the soldier villain who is the, who is the muscle and the much more powerful supervillain who is the mastermind. 
that is basically how this dialogue reads. That is, he just slams comic book meta knowledge into the dialogue, and it is it is like Lady in the Water, where he's ragging on critics who didn't like signs. It it is so weird. Like, where is this coming from? Like. Okay, dude, if you want to do a thing about comics, why don't make a documentary about comics if you love comics so much? And then do things like all the all your favorite comic book tropes or something. What does this have to do with anything? It's bad dialogue and it's bad storytelling. What the hell happened? Uh, uh, thankfully, Sam Jackson, the title character who doesn't show up until an hour into the, his own mo- into the movie with his own name on it, uh, does manage to save it a bit with his performance, even though he's now gone from a comic book nerd who who is a bit over the top to straight up supervillain like like high, like like absolute we're beyond the point of realistic now cuz we're like we're de- like the reveal and unbreakable that he was behind so many attacks was that he was basically a terrorist it was was still somewhat believable because he was basically using he was basically, you know, there in the background. He was there um, paying attention to what can be done. You know, like, he just listened to a guy. He just knew that that particular hotel, like, he just knew a particular hotel wasn't up to fire, wasn't up to, wasn't up to the fire code. And he knew that, and he, and he was able to uh, mess with a train. Now he's, like, performing, like, sl- sleight of hand and doing all kinds of machinations in his brain. And it's, now he's got a photographic memory and he, can, and he can remember every little detail of a blueprint from seeing it once. And where did... Whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't establish any of this last time. Where is this all coming from? <laughs> it's so... Yeah, it's it's it is absolute. Like we've we've left we far we've we far removed ourselves from the realistic take on superheroes. Now now we're in abs we're absolutely in comic book territory. Uh, but at the same rate, yeah, I, you can't hate him. He you can't hate Sam Jackson, even when he's delivering some really s- silly dialogue. It's Sam Jackson. Like he's delivered silly dialogue with all with with that same energy most of his career like he's not always given the best dialogue to say but he's able to always deliver and he's fantastic so what it comes down to is during that final uh confrontation it's all shot through security cam footage like it's all done through like oh we're showing it through security cam footage mainly to hide the fact that they couldn't keep bruce willis for that day because bruce willis will only show up for a million dollars a day and they couldn't afford him for more than a week (laughs) Uh, oh boy. Why do we keep Bruce Willis around if he doesn't care? Why do you keep him around if he doesn't, if you don't, like, is he that, like, even now, is his star not fallen so low that you, you don't, you don't even need to bother? Like, can't you just say, okay, he's a, he's unofficially retired because he doesn't even, he's completely checked out. And even here, like he's he he's he's sleepwalking through this whole movie for the most part. And, and even even when there's like a bit where he is supposedly trying to break out and fight um, Kevin, and he has to and they have to drown him. It's it's a really badly like um I watched a uh, um Dan Olson. I've been getting back into Dan Olson now since I got over myself, and he had. He basically broke down so many of the major problems with Glass in his recent vlog about it. 
and he, he basically hits all the nails on the head for the most part. And even though he misses a couple of beats just because he's coming off, he's going off the top of his head. And yeah, it's it it is a very cheap, like even though it's twenty million dollars, it is done very cheaply. Like most of that seemed to have gone into paying for the week that they got Bruce Willis and paying for Samuel Jackson's salary, and then even then. With the, with the money they had left, they couldn't even do basic continuity things. It is so bizarre that this ha- that somebody who is usually a much better director than this is pulling in, is just kind of pulling in almost student film levels of corner, you know, cutting so student film levels of corners because they don't have the experience to know. Oh, here's what an actual film does, and here's and people who watch movies can pay attention to these sorts of things. And you know, like, like the fact that after they his it's it's a minor it's it's a minor thing. It's not like a plot destroying thing or a movie destroying thing, but it's just a minor thing that kind of kind of like puts a little crack in the whole thing where uh that scene where he has to be hosed down because his weakness is water. Uh meanwhile his be- his clothes and his bed are completely dry and all Bruce Willis did was spit out some water. So they wouldn't even Bruce Willis wouldn't even let them uh hose him down, you know, spray him down so he looked wet. And then the bed was wet when he was when they were done. Like it also why isn't the bed like away from the center of the room where the um hoses are? So that it doesn't get wet and you don't constantly need to change the, this whole thing. Like the whole asylum that they're in is very poorly run. It is stupidly run. And then when the twist comes, what their what the actual intentions are, even then it is really stupid. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's a big twist about Sarah Paulson because it's Shyamalan. And then even then, the, the, and then the final ending is is really really is really is really like a letdown I, i'm trying to figure out a word other than that but yeah it's a complete letdown like the whole ending uh without going into spoilers is deals with still deals with the idea of superheroes uh ex- being proved to exist but nothing in nothing that ha- nothing that was really shot proved that it just proved that they were st- two strong guys like uh, you know, there's a point where um, Kevin, as the Beast, uh, up over, kind of overturns a, a security guard's car, but he does it from the side, and it basically does what uh, somebody on PCP could do. So it's not like he's doing, th- he's not like the strongest. The like, if they wanted to prove that superheroes were real. And the superpowers were real. That they needed something. They needed to put more effort into things. They needed to have like holes in the van or doors coming off hinges. Like the like the one thing that does like the one thing that does kind of prove it is Bruce Willis punches off the door, but and that and that, and that the beast can climb on walls. That's about it. That's really about it. And even then, people can be like, "Yeah, that's a cool after. Yeah, that's a cool thing you did in After Effects. Nice camera angles, dude." Yeah, nice student film. Like nothing, none of this actually proves superheroes exist. Ultimately, uh, but but yeah, it's and then and so I mean, like if they wanted to prove superheroes existed, they should have gone about it better. And then and but once again, I feel like the Shyamalan isn't that concerned with going 
all in. He's just like, he's got the cool idea and it's still the raw material there. And then the final ending is just kind of like, okay, now what? What do we do now? Because like you, are you plan like, where are we going with this? So is this, I don't know what, I don't know what to take from this movie. It was just ultimately like, oh yeah, there's some cool stuff in here, but, and I did like it better than split, but why? But why is what what like what are we doing here? Every you know once again the raw material gimmick it was fine when it was unbreakable and you were still allowed to to fine tune it. But now it's still just a hunk of iron. You haven't turned it into anything. Like we need more. When both Marvel and DC are doing way more with superheroes and even. Even in the comics, like, you could do so many stories. And, like, not even the main movies. Like, animated movies. Um, Superman versus the Elite, uh, which is uh, an adaptation of one of a, a really great story called Whatever Happened to the Ma- Whatever Happened to the Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Uh, that was a better deconstruction of superheroes than this was. And it just... You, we, can, we need to do better. And unfortunately, Shyamalan is just still skirting by with the raw material, thinking, "Oh, I just did, I just did a little, I just did little touches, and it's still on, and and, and it's still a hunk of iron." But didn't I do good, guys? No, no. When people are still actually putting the effort in and and fine tuning and honing the the their craft to make that a hunk of iron into some either something, a sword, a, a piece of jewelry. A, a a, a a table something you know to put it make it as part of a table or something you need to do you need to do more than the bare minimum i could not just stand by and let you destroy me you are enjoying all of this aren't you <laughs> if you do not go i will start kicking you and i will not stop my dear friend, how good to see you've returned from hell. I'm sure you shall pass through it one day. The favorite in cinema's Boxing Day. I guess by default, Glass is my unpopped kernel for the week, just because there was nothing else that came out and I wasn't able to see anything else. Uh, meanwhile, my pick of the week is the favorite, and this would have been a really hot contender for my favorite list of twenty. My favorite list. <laughs> favorite movies of 2018 because yeah it is it is spectacular it is unlike anything i've ever seen uh it is loosely based on on actual uh british history something i haven't heard before i haven't heard anything about this before there's a point in um 1700s the right at the turn of the 18th century uh where queen anne of england had these two Ladies in her court, and the ladies were cousins, and one was a friend of hers from childhood, Sarah Churchill, and then Sarah's cousin Abigail Hill uh, becomes part of the uh, court, and it's the two of them kind of vying for Queen Anne's um, attention and favor, and here it's played up almost like, like they really played up as like two girls, two mean girls trying to vie for the attention of the one and the one kind of, and that's the thing, Queen Anne, especially at that point in history, was suffering from all kinds of illnesses and whatnot. So she was in constant pain and agony. And so you have these two 
women just being all being super petty and vindictive to each other over who has the queen's favor and it 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 is it is really it is unlike any period piece i've seen in a long time it is period drama it is comedy because there's references to all kinds of nasty stuff and like there's cursing in it which you don't usually hear in these sorts of movies it becomes an erotic thriller as part of the subplot uh because the you know this if you haven't heard that this is a very much movie like kind of you know te- you know kind of playing off uh not only lesbianism but i think there's a little bit of kink in there because there's a lot there's a there's a bit where uh abigail kind of has a sort of uh not masochist it's kind of not not fully sadistic but like you know she is a it's a push push pull sort of you know thing like there's a whole there's a scene you see in the trailer where she like kicks the guy in the balls that's the guy she eventually marries and it's sort of like a eh, you know they, they have a little it's like a weird loving violence sort of thing because it's out of love that they were fighting that they're that there's almost play fighting but it's it's you know it's it's like a weird kink of sorts, but um, yeah. So here you've got Olivia Coleman who absolutely deserves the nomination for best actress. I don't know who I can't. Th- I, I have to double check the nominees for who who would win, but she is a real contender. And this is the first time I've ever heard of her. I I had never heard of her before this, and she's just phenomenal as Queen Anne. And then Rachel Weisz and um. Emma Stone both do exceptionally well as uh, Sarah Churchill and Abigail Hill, respectively. And it's all about uh, Rachel Weisz as sort of the... And that's, that's kind of also where the other kink comes in, because Rachel Weisz is very domineering. She's almost like a dominatrix, especially with uh, some of the leather and corsets that she wears. She's, she's, she, you know, she dons pantsuit. She dons, like, suits for the most part, uh, aside from a couple of points where she wears dresses. So she's... She... she Dresses sort of a little more masculine than feminine at points, especially when she goes out shooting. So it's it's an interesting sort of like LGBT friendly take on on history, which I'm guessing is is a lot more um, you know a lot more artistic interpretation. Because uh, from what I can tell, uh, looking into the looking into it, more of the falling out came from politics and religion because. Uh, Sarah Churchill was a Whig, uh, which was the sort of, um, I, I don't know what the, what the politics of them were, but they were more, uh, they, they weren't as in line with the, with the, uh, Anglican churches, which is, which is very important to Queen Anne and the Tories were much more in line with her. And Abigail was the one who kind of favored the Tories more than the Whigs because, uh, Sarah was married to a Whig nobleman. And so she was pushing Whigs into the cabinet. She was pushing for Whigs uh, in Parliament and and policies by the Whig Party, who were uh, favoring the War of Spanish Succession in Europe. In fact, that's a subplot running through the movie where uh, Sarah's husband is fighting a war down there, leading a war down, leading a battle down there. Meanwhile, uh, Nicholas Holt uh, is almost unrecognizable as the as um, Harley, the uh, head of the Tory Party at the time. And he looks like he looks straight out of he looks like Amadeus in this movie, and um, he uh, is the one trying to gain, have Abigail gain favor with the queen so the Tories can have more power, 
which is what Queen Anne actually wanted in real life. Uh, in fact, once she, you know, once uh, Sarah lost favor, she started favoring more of the Tories, and then eventually the Tories just maintained control with the next king because the Tories were in line with the Anglican Church. But that's all boring history. Here, it's a, it's a weird sort of. It's just like it's unlike anything I've ever seen before. It's hard to describe because you've got this period. It's it's a full on period piece, but it's not. It doesn't have any of the same sort of hoity-toity sensibilities about delivering history with all of the dryness of uh, Oxford lecture. Here it's more like, no, history was weird and nasty and ugly at points. So so let's do that. And, and then uh, something else that you'll notice right from the first shot is there is a lot of use of the fisheye lens, which basically means everything is sort of distorted. So for the for a big chunks of the movie, the camera is completely distorted, and you're and you've got like one focal point in the center. It is an interesting choice. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if that's meant to signify something like, oh, this is Abigail's tr- trying to traverse the politics of the court or something like that. But it's it's an interesting choice and something I haven't. Seen. And once again, it separates the movie from everybody else. So the favorite is is some, it, it is. It is an interesting movie, and I I really dug it. I loved the performances. I thought the three actresses played so well off of each other. They had such great chemistry together. And um, Vice and Stone were able to play off, be, play off of each other as well. And uh, yeah, just it's such a it's such a good movie. Like if you haven't gotten the chance yet, I highly recommend you go see The Favorite because it is, you know, even though it may not be out in theaters anymore, look for it on video or something because it is a solid solid movie. It's not going to be the your usual period piece. I think you guys are going to dig it. So with the reviews out of the way, let's uh cut right into the discussion, which is going to be about superheroes and not as ham-fisted as Shyamalan did. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Melody. I'm Max. I'm Dexter. I'm Diana. And I'm John. And together, we host the book review and discussion podcast, Living in the Stacks. Every two weeks, we take the time to read a book and then meet online to discuss it. We'll talk about what we liked, what we didn't like, and if we'd read the book again. Whatever the genre, whoever the author, whether it's good or bad, we'll read anything once. So if you want to join us, you can find us, Living in the Stacks, available through Gumby Cat Networks. Yeah, superheroes. Um, I'm a fan of superheroes. If you haven't guessed, uh, to an extent, like I won't, pre- I won't. Oh, I mean, I can forgive a lot of stuff in bad movies if the, if I get some superheroes. Like, uh, the uh, what was it? I keep forget. I keep forgetting it because it's a completely forgettable movie. But I like the superhero stuff in it. Uh, the Darkest Minds with Amanda Stenberg. Uh. It's I just like superhero stuff. I like, I mean, I like the superhero bits from uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. It just the story didn't hold up for it as well. So, what is it about superheroes? Uh, well, 
For me, I never read comics, so it wasn't that. I lived uh, deep, deep in the suburbs, so I was away from any sort of comic book shop nearby. I, I didn't think there was a comic book shop until I moved closer into Akron, and that comic book shop opened like three years ago, I think. So I didn't really get a chance to have a comic book shop until I was an adult. And even then, I didn't start reading comic books until I had access to Comixology, where it was mu- where I could read them digitally. And then... Like if you if you dig back through, I have I still have archived some of my reviews uh, from at, from my days as a solitary nerd, where I covered comic books as well. I wanted to try and break into co- reviewing comic books like Ankara, and uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I want to make that a segment again or not. But because at this point, because right now I just need to afford movie tickets. But I would I still love comic books and I still love the stories that are told within them from the really pulpy and silly to the much more you know dramatic and 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 really well written narratives you can do a lot of good things in comic books that people then it was part of the reason I myself wanted to write comic books but unfortunately all my ideas I had no idea how to translate them into comic book scripts and from everything I could tell most comic book companies prefer prefer having uh artist driven stuff so they want artists to come up with the characters and the design works and then they'll have a writer come up with a script or the artist will sometimes write the script or something i could not find a means of breaking into the comic book industry as a writer not as an whereas it is much more um not i don't want it's not easy but it's not but it's much more streamlined how to break into the comic book industry as an artist. You can you have a visual, you know, flair that you can show. How do you show somebody that you write good with with just the with just the script? Because who's going to read through a manuscript, especially for a comic book, when the point of a comic book is that it's visually driven? So yeah, I'm I think I'm gonna I think that's why I'm trying to shift my focus more towards uh, narrative uh, prose. Instead of comic books, just because for right now, I don't know how to do that. Uh, But yeah, I myself have come up with several ideas for superhero stuff from one based around here in Akron to one that's one that's about kids to one that's about the the United. That's like a superhero team for the United Nations. And I had I've had one for the longest time that was basically of Defender style. Um underground sort of superheroes fighting against a corrupt system in their town. I've had so many ideas for superhero stuff just because I love the idea of superheroes. And I think what it came from was superheroes were emblematic of the, uh, because I think by that point, superheroes were so iconic that you started to see them leak into other medias outside, other media outside of comic books. You saw them in cartoons, you saw them in, um, you started to see them in movies and whatnot. You see them, even if they weren't the focus, they were referenced. Like, there were superhero episodes of Rugrats, or there were superhero episodes of Catdog, or, you know, there were superhero episodes of these cartoons, as well as superheroes turned into cartoons. Like, I mean, Batman the Animated Series is considered one of the best cartoons of all time. And that's an adaptation from the comic books. And I, one of my personal favorites, just because I, I was a bit late for uh, the animated series and also Superman, uh, was the continuation 
in Justice League. I was old enough to catch Justice League in time when it started, and I loved every episode for the most part. I don't think I, I'd have to dig through. I have to rewatch the entire series, both regular and unlimited, and unlimited, to know which episodes I actually didn't like because there were so many that I loved. And then, of course, as an adult, we got the MCU, which is which has made comic books essentially mainstream. The Marvel and the MCU uh, have brought comic book movies from the doldrums during the 2000s, uh, where the only real highlights were Spider-Man and and the first two X-Men movies, and they br- and they elevated comic book movies into a viable blockbuster for the for one of the first times since probably. Uh, the Superman movie in the seventies and the Batman and Batman nineteen eighty nine, uh, and of course at the same time you had the Dark Knight. So I mean, Batman was always kind of viable as a property, but now Marvel is doing like Iron. They started off with Iron Man, who was a minor character. Like Iron Man didn't sell them anything in the comics. It was all Spider Man and Wolverine, and so they managed to take a an old character that most people didn't care about anymore and made him a superstar. Same did the same thing with Ant-Man and they did the same thing with The Guardians of the Galaxy. The Guardians of the Galaxy was a was a like a like a C or D list level superhero team from Cos- from from Marvel Cosmic and they managed to take one of the te- one of the col- and it's always like the X-Men the, where the where the members are are swapping in and out. Like I think Spider-Man, Iron Man and the Thing uh from the Fantastic 4 have all been members of the, of the Guardians of the Galaxy at one point. And the and so you had this this core team, Star-Lord, Gamora, Drax, um Groot and Rocket as the core team, and they elevated those characters into like I knew the Guardians of the Galaxy from an episode from a single episode of uh, Avengers: Earth Mightiest Heroes, where they showed up, and it was Star Lord, um, Adam Warlock, somebody else I don't remember, Nakamura, Groot, and Rocket, and that so I knew like a good chunk of the Guardians of the Galaxy at that point in time, and. Now, and so now seeing and so now that they're a multi-million dollar you know franchise as part of the MCU it is it, you know it, it is crazy to think that literally, like they could probably make a moon knight movie who is a like a super low level uh character who suffers from i think schizophrenia or or uh, some sort of mental dis- mental disorder and he's such a uh, uh, like deadpool Make more sense because he was already kind of popular. They just took a popular character and gave him a movie. Moon Knight is if De- was a, a sort of almost less famous, more gritty Deadpool that doesn't have the like the meta humor about him, depending on who's writing him. So Moon Knight and people who who know of Moon Knight who have read Moon Knight love Moon Knight. I don't know anybody who has heard of Moon Knight that hates Moon Knight. Um, but but the given the current trajectory of the MCU, you could probably have Moon Knight as a viable either Netflix series or movie, uh, and they would probably and it would probably do amazing because they have good people. They know how the how to hire writers to capture the characters and tell these interesting stories, even if they do follow a similar formula. And I think that's what it is: is that. We'll get into the fatigue in a bit, but I think what it does for me is that I can – I'm not 
So, like, the formula is there for the most part. It's always going to be there just because it's successful and they're not going to deviate too far from it. But what I like is the dressings. I mean, that's the thing with, I mean, like, that's the same with every movie. Every genre of movie will have a base formula that, that, that they follow. It's what they do with the individual parts of the movie that separate it from the whole. So what separates Iron Man from Captain America? And you see that in their movies. What separates the Guardians of the Galaxy from Thor? And a little less nowadays because Taika Waititi kind of brought more levity to Thor and made him a little more, little bit more like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. And, but at the same time, like what differentiates Thor from Ant Man? What differentiates all Spider Man from the Incredible Hulk? You know, what are these? You know, what separates these characters? And you see that in their and you see that in their stories. So, uh, where was I going with this? But yeah, so yeah, enough of my MCU gushing. Cause like, and like, DC could do easily the same thing. And I think their TV does it a little bit better. Because I hear great things about Flash and Legends of Tomorrow and their whole, um, DC, their whole DC universe on CW. They managed to do something similar to what Marvel's doing in the movies on TV. And... Like I said, these characters, you're able to do that because they are because de- they're all kind of archetypical characters and you can put them in any sort of situation and make it and, and kind of bring in these like um, uh, Lindsay Ellis, one of her uh, It's Lit episodes for PBS's The Great, The Great American Read uh dealt with fantasy and why fantasy is so relatable to people. And it's basically that fantasy is just the genre and like sci-fi, it will draw in elements from the real world. It'll take real world issues and present them in a way that we can understand. Perfect example, civil war dealt with how, or how agencies are, have to be held accountable for their actions and, and for all the collateral damage that they cause. Black Panther dealt deals with isolationism and, and, the, the plight of black America. Um, Infinity War deals with, um, uh, you know, a, 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 a maniacal, you know, despot who thinks, you know, who is the hero of his own story as he tries to, you know, bring about a, 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 a um, bring about an, an answer to what he sees as the world's problem, a universe's problems without really understanding how to make the universe better just because he's, you know, he cares more about, Showing off power and be, you know, being, you know, be, thinking this is the only way and being stuck in that mindset and how you have to kind of combat that level of, ma- you know, ma- megalomania. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, Wonder Woman dealt with, uh, tr- you know, finding the true enemy in people and fight, you know, making leaving your home in order to fight for the fight for what's right. So, I mean, like. Most really great superhero movies have that sort of subtext in them. And even the bad ones tend to have hints of that. Superman versus Batman versus Superman had hints of what do we do now that this godlike being is here? You know, who is the who is there to counteract him? I mean, these sorts of stuff have been in the comics for years. But normally it's not with Superman until it wasn't with Superman until like the 80s. So and of course the fact that they try to force in bits with um, the the Dark Knight Returns, which was steeped in comic book history, is is was really they were like 
15 movies too early for that for that mindset. And Justice League was basically a rip-off of the Avengers, ultimately. It didn't really have that much going on, whereas the Avengers... I mean, ultimately, it's just a big team-up movie. Um, not a lot of real subtext going on compared to the individual movies. Uh, but yeah, you, good writers can bring over these these uh, these stories that are, that can be fe- like that's the thing. These stories feature great uh, allusions to the real world. They feature great um, you know they feature great characters for the for you know for the most part. Some of them not maybe not be so great depending on who's writing, but you can have great characters, great drama, great narratives, just as good as novels. Or, or you know, movies. And the fact that I think the only reason people don't take them seriously is because of the same reason they don't take people don't take animation seriously. Namely, that because kid because kids gravitate towards it, it is for kids. It is not to be taken seriously. Whereas in Japan, you don't see this as much because anim, because animation and manga. Um, they were for, they, they, they had a wide swath of age ranges. You would had, you'd have stories for little kids, but then you'd have stories for teenagers and for, you know, young adults. Then you'd have people, ones strictly for adults, but it didn't matter. But the medium was not defined by just one age group. It was across the entire culture and America, I think because of Disney specifically and because and because so many kids were the first to read comic, were the only ones to read comic books until they hit puberty, that I think they the, we had the stigma that this is for children, and so there are still, you know, like Bill Maher, the pompous douche that he is, was like Stanley didn't, you know, Stanley, you know, Stanley just made book, you know, silly books for children. He's not a hero. He's like that's the thing. You don't have to like comic books, but you have to recognize Stanley. The 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 world would be wildly different if Stanley wasn't there. If Stanley didn't do what he did, the the world would have been monumentally different. There, we probably wouldn't have so much of the cult, the pop culture that we consume. And that's the thing. It is for consumption ultimately, but you wouldn't have these stories, these characters that so many people identify with. Without Stan Lee there, so his death was a loss for for so many, and for this you know wannabe intellectual to come in and act like Stan Lee was Stan Lee wasn't deserving of mourning is it clearly shows just the kind of prick that he is. Whereas, and I think um, when it comes to Mar. Uh, I always co- go back to I think de- uh, of all people, uh, Celebrity Deathmatch nailed it. Uh, there was an episode of Celebrity Deathmatch where Bill Maher faced off with Conan O'Brien. So you had an uh, so you had a comedian who acted like an intellectual and a man who went to Harvard who does silly jokes. And Bill Maher was the one who's always trying to like throw in long long words and always sound super smart, make references to you know obscure history. And meanwhile, Conan's the one actually being funny. So having you know having you know having a education and being knowledgeable about stuff doesn't make you funny. 
And Bill Maher is just a smug, self-satisfied prick. And I think he only really caters to college liberals, ultimately. And and let's be fair, he's a libertarian. He's just just left-leaning because he smokes pot. And he's just proven himself... You know, once again, like kind of like the South Park guys, to be woefully uneducated about issues. So, uh, but I'm digressing. I, I just thinking about Bill Maher. He's got one of the most punchable faces in comedy, and I just feel like, why do people take him seriously? Once again, it's like with Split. Why are you taking this seriously? It's not good. So, yeah. Um, coming back to superheroes, though. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, there, there, there were so many. Stuff that you could tie into it. And th- thankfully, for the most part, you don't get direct correlations to, like, real-world atrocities. Like, you'll get references to 9-11, certainly. Uh, especially in, like, the Watchmen movie adaptation. There there was a reference to... It was changed from an alien attack to a 9-11-style terrorist attack. Uh, which is more cinematic and much more in line with the culture at the time. Like, uh... The squid, like people were decrying the use of the, squ- the the loss of the squid because the whole point is that the aliens attacking is going to unite us, but I feel like t- making um, but I feel like tying more into nine eleven and the terrorist attacks is much more in line with the, with post nine eleven uh, narratives. I think that was much more of its time. It made more sense for that time period. You're talking about a time after terrorist attacks took place. They helped to unify people against a common enemy and instead of it being aliens it was one of the superheroes so i mean that change didn't bother me as much because it makes sense in context it's just the rest of the movie is a direct correlation without any of the uh real passion or real knowledgeability of what made Watchmen such a good read because Zack snyder is very surface level michael bay style visuals over story kind of director you know that's that's with like I think that goes without saying. I mean, everything about Snyder is visuals over substance. It's style over substance, and you can. I'm not saying you have to hate. You don't have to like him. I'm just saying that that's what it is. I'm describing it as it is. Fat, you know, from observa- from my observations, even back to 300, which is a movie I used to like, but I've since grown cold on because of the of Frank Miller and the source material and the way that. Snyder did faithfully try to bring that to life. It's a cool stuff. It's a cool looking movie, but I can't watch it anymore just because of the actual stories and theming going on behind it. And the fact that it's inspired so many like super hard right conservatives to like take up the mantle of the Spartans who were in actuality much, much more terrible people. And there's probably a reason they don't stick around, you know? They didn't stick around, you know? It's probably good that they didn't stick around. And we don't need more guys like that, just personally. But, um, yeah, it's... uh, Yeah, superheroes, for me, just... They just... I think what it ultimately comes down to is, and the reason I I forgive movies like The Darkest Minds is because I like the visuals, I like the visual style of superpowers. You know, seeing eyes glow red before they shoot heat beams or seeing people, you know, freeze the air or start, you know, set fire to their skin or something like that. Seeing them turn turn into rock or metal. Seeing them, you know, seeing the fights. The fights are so visceral for the most part when they're done right. And seeing, you know, so many, move, so many superhero movies have taken... 
the idea of the fight and made some amazing action sequences out of them. So, so I think what it got, so in the darkest minds, even though it was, it's not a very good movie. I liked how the superpowers looked and I liked how they were utilized for the most part. So uh, that, that let me, um, overcome, uh, you know, overcome so many of the down, so many of the bad, pro- bad, pro- you know, bad issues with it because I still liked watching it. Uh, I didn't, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I'm, there's a reason I keep forgetting it and I haven't revisited it because it's not a very good movie, but I liked those parts of it. And I still like those parts of Miss Peregrine. I still like those parts in Unbreakable and uh, Glass. But what it comes down to is, unless you've got something to back up those visuals, I don't care. You know, like Superman, Batman v Superman and Man of Steel had great visuals, but the story they were telling was not very good. And that's why I gravitate more to. And I, and once again. I'm not a fan of every MCU movie. I still think Iron Man 3 is the worst of them, in my opinion. And I still don't think Thor The Dark World is very good. And neither is the first Thor movie. Uh, So they're definitely bottom-tier MCU movies. And MCU is not free from doing any wrong. It's not like they can do no wrong. But what it comes down to is... You know, the story has to be there. And for the most part, in the MCU, they hire writers who can tell those stories... And even though it's still following Kevin Feige's outline, they they know how to tell those stories and write those characters in a way that you that appeals to people. So even though Ant the first Ant Man and the and Spider Man Homecoming may not be the best, they definitely get your they definitely catch your attention. You still enjoy them even if you don't love them. And I think that's the difference: is that bad superhero movies. Have to have bad writing, bad characterization. Bad, you know, it all comes back to the inception of the of the of the story. Whereas really good superhero movies, that's what they that's what they have. They started off in a good place, and they went and they managed to bring that to light. So even like that's a thing. You don't have to have multi million dollar budgets, hundred million dollar budgets to make a really good superhero movie. Good superhero movies can happen. Like you. Or like, uh, look at TV. Look at look at the how many people were have been mourning the loss of the Netflix Marvel series because so much of that was really solid writing, and it didn't have a big budget. It didn't have special effects. It was it was down to earth, much like much like the uh, Israel One Seven Seven trilogy. It is much more simple and much more simplified. I mean, the only superpowers you really get are like during the fight scenes with Luke Cage or you had some visual effects with Iron Fist. But for the most part, these are these are not visually stunning superpowers. It is all done through the storytelling for the most part. And I really hope that... And from what it sounds like, uh, Disney Plus, which is premiering over here in... Um, in uh, I think December or something at the end of the year, maybe next year. I forget what the timeline is, but it's supposed to premiere pretty soon. And from what I hear, from what people have been saying, uh, it sounds like Kevin Feige is finally starting to get the get the uh, reins back 
from uh, Ike Perlmutter. Basic, but this is all inside baseball talk for uh, comic books. But basically, Ike Perlmutter is a is an is an aging toy executive and a Trump supporter, and he's a piece of human garbage. If you know if if you know anything about him, and he's been he was the one who forced the Inhumans to be a, try to be a thing. And because he wanted something to compete with Fox's X Men, and unfortunately, he didn't. He Perlmutter does not have the creative force to make something really good, for the most part. Like he, like he's like the Inhumans was what he wanted, and it sucked. <laughs> uh, so Perlmutter is not a great creative type. He is basically there out of, almost out of obligation, just because he was there when Marvel was re, re, was starting to revitalize itself after going after going bankrupt. And he's just an aging dinosaur who need who needs to go extinct, and need to, we need somebody new to come over. And people, I think a lot of people have been wanting Mar- the reason Marvel TV hasn't been doing as well is because Perlmutter and Faggy don't get along. And Faggy is the one who's trying to do good things, and Perlmutter is the old curmudge being like, "I want mine humans," and doing doing really terrible things. So there's no real crossover, which is what we were promised. With agents of shows like Agents of Shield, so Marvel TV has suffered because our Ike Perlmutter is such a just such a terrible terrible person that he has to keep all that stuff to himself. Whereas Faggy could easily include like why isn't like it's all Marvel Studios? Why isn't the TV included within the Marvel Studios banner and, and then let Marvel Entertainment handle the animation? I don't know. All I know is that supposedly Faggy is starting to get uh, control over the TV series, and that's why the Netflix shows were being canceled because they're going to be moving over to Disney Plus. Supposedly, I would hope so. I would hate to lose Luke Cage and Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Punisher. I still need to watch the new seasons of Punisher and Jessica Jones. I'm so far behind, but I'd hate to lose all those good seasons. Because, because uh, they're you know, and then not gain those actors back, and then finally have them be part of the MCU. Like, wouldn't that be great if they could finally show up on Disney Plus and they'd be in the MCU, and then actually Captain America shows up, or actually they're in New York, so Spider Man swings by, or Tom Holland shows in for a cameo, uh, you know, like he runs into Matt Murdock on the street or something, and you know, things like that. That would be that's what I was that's what we were promised with Agents of Shield. And we never got that, and then and I and I, I, I honestly blame it on Perlmutter, just because I feel like Kevin Feige knows what he's doing, and he could implement and he could incorporate them, no problem. But Perlmutter is the one holding the reins for TV, and he sucks at it. Uh, anyway, sorry about my rant on Marvel executives and whatnot. And yeah, I think the argument there are, but definitely. Arguments against superheroes and especially like Marvel and DC uh, properties specifically, because what? Because the biggest argument is they're there for consumption. They're not there for um, as though like there's some artistic integrity in in, in entertainment at all, any or that there ever was. Uh, I mean, that's the thing when it comes to entertainment, be it music, be it books be it whatever somebody is paying for that to be released so if you want your work released somebody has to be your patron be it a company or a person so it's a lot easier now you can self-publish but that if you want wider release 
Normally, you have to rely on a bigger entity, and those are companies, and their companies are there to make money, and the only way and the only way to do that is to commodify your thing. So, thankfully, you know there are some instances where the artist does ma- maintain some level of control. So, like uh, Bill Watterson has been very, very close to the vest when it came to uh, Calvin and Hobbes. He did not want a Garfield style. Uh, TV series, he didn't want all this merchandise, he was very much in the mindset of, he did not want companies to lessen the impact of his creation by commercializing it, and I highly commend him for that, I I would love to just hang out with Mr. Watterson especially since he is like right around here he is right within my area I would love to just, just for a day, hang out with him watch him draw you know, you know, talk, you know, pick his brain a bit about philosophy and stuff. Not, not be like, oh, hey, I love your thing, but like, I love you. Like, you're an amazing person. I want to know more about you. And in, but the problem is, he's so private that I don't want to break that either. I, but you know, I just would, lo- I would love to be, and I, I have to go back and reread and and go watch a dear, Wa- dear Mister Watterson, which was one guy's attempt to try and make contact with him as a fan of Calvin and Hobbes. And so, yeah, by the way, so yeah, by the way, all those people who are with the bootleg, with the, um, Calvin, with the Calvin peeing on stuff, not only is that disingenuous to the, uh, actual comics that they love, it's also bootleg. So you're not, so none of that money goes back to Mr. Watterson. So you're buying a bootleg product. Congratulations. You're a prick. Anyway, (laughs) I hope you like showing that you hate the Steelers or, uh, the Yankees or whoever, uh, Anyway, yeah, the commercial. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Uh, the commercialization aspect is a very fair one, but that's more a problem with society as a whole. You can't hold superheroes as like, oh, they're just made to make make Marvel and Disney all these all these people money. Yeah, everything's there to make somebody money because that's the that's the society we live in. You want to change that? You change the society. You can't. You can't not enjoy something from entertain. You know, for entertainment, just because it makes. John Oliver makes HBO money. Doesn't mean the show is bad. The Office made ABC money. Doesn't mean the show is bad. You know, things make people money. Just because it was made to make money doesn't make it bad because everything is created nowadays in the industry to make somebody money. Somebody thought, I can make money off of that, be it good or because it's popular or whatever. Somebody said, I can make money off of that, whether you like it or not. And if some people, and hey, for, for a lot of points, sometimes it is a meritocracy because if something is good, people will keep buying it. If it's not good, people will stop buying it. Sometimes people are tricked into buying stuff, and that's shadier. But for the most part, there is some level of meritocracy in that aspect. Of something is good, people will gravitate towards it as long as they know about it. Or even if it doesn't matter if it's good. If they like a thing, they will gravitate towards it, and they will support it. Which leads me into my other, the other real criticism, brand loyalty. I have never been a loyal... As much as I sound like I'm against DC and I'm a big Marvel fanboy, I am a Marvel fanboy, but I'm not all in on Marvel, like I mentioned. I, I don't love everything that Marvel has done. I I'm I gave up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. like two seasons in because I couldn't... They, it just wasn't hooking me. It was so mediocre. 
And I'm far behind on the Netflix series just because I don't go sit down and watch those as much. I don't binge them. You know, I don't feel the urge to binge them as, as much as I do, used to. And, you know, the, you know, you've got almost, a, you're, you've got o- over half a century of comics. Of course, there's going to be bad stuff in it. We'll go watch Linkara if you want, if you want great examples of that. But, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I, I, and there are, like I mentioned, Justice League is one of my favorite shows ever, animated or otherwise. Justice League is an amazing show, and it comes from an ama- two other amazing shows, Bat- Batman and Superman, the animated series. I love the Teen Titans, the 2003 Teen Titans. I love, you know, I know people love Young Justice. So, I mean, like, they're, and I don't hate Young Justice either. I just haven't had a chance to watch it. So, DC is not a bad, and once again, I've I've liked the parts of the DC uh, CW verse that I've watched. I just haven't had the time to sit down and watch it as much because I focus so much on movies that I don't have a lot of time to watch TV. And there were, like I mentioned, there were some of the DC stories are infinitely better than anything Marvel has done. The problem is those aren't translating into the movies, which is what most people talk about. Like I mentioned. Superman versus the Elite, based on whatever happened to Truth, Justice, and the American Way. Amazing story. I've said over and over again that would easily make an amazing Superman movie in live action. Because it made a solid movie in animation. There are amazing stories told with the DC characters. They just did Death and Death, is, Death and Rebirth of Superman on, on in the animated form on uh, in theaters uh, that, I was, that I unfortunately had to miss because of work. But... You know, those those characters are almost better than Marvel's characters, but the people in charge of presenting them in other media aren't always that good. The DC animated movies have been much better than the Marvel animated movies, and which is why Marvel's probably given seems to have given up on the, on the animated movie aspect, because DC reigns there. They reign on TV. They just, the people in charge of the movies aren't bringing those characters to, to, to their best light. It looks like that's about to change. That's been changing. Wonder Woman was better. Wonder Woman was is still the best of the DCEU. Aquaman, Aquaman is right behind her, and then we'll see how Shazam does later this year. Uh, but DC has a, an excellent cast of characters, arguably once again, arguably better than Marvel's. It's just who is in charge of bringing those characters to life. That's all. And the idea that you have to be a fan of one or the other, that you have to have some sort of tribal association with them, like you do a football team or something, is stupid. Like, enjoy... Wouldn't it be better if we just enjoyed the thing? Doesn't matter if we can't... Doesn't matter where it comes from. Hey, here's the thing. We don't have... We, you know, you don't usually see this with, like, Mattel versus Hasbro. Or, um... Or, like, even with the indie stuff, nobody's like, I prefer Dark Horse over Image. Nobody does that. But for some reason, because of Marvel and DC and those characters capturing so- the minds of the-, of the readers, they stick to that company as as though they as though it were as, ever, as though they were a remora on a shark. And it's like this is this is the only company. This is the best company. This is who I go into. Ba- this is who I raise my flag to. This is who I. This is the banner I wield into battle. And it's like, dude, it's a comic book. Like you could chill. Most and that's the thing. Most comic book uh, fans, to my knowledge, now are a lot more chill. Just because there's so much out there, you don't need to get hooked up on Marvel versus DC. But back in the day when those were the only two. That made more sense. Now, 
with the wide glut of stuff available to us, who cares where it comes from? If it's good, let's enjoy it, even if if we like it. Let's just enjoy it for a change. And I feel like there's a, there's, there's a change in the wind. I hope there's a change in the wind. I would hope that the next generation of comic book fans aren't growing up into that old mindset of we have to pick one or the other. Instead of, here's an idea. Por que no las dos? Why not both? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, when it comes to... So, yeah, I've, I've got a lot of thoughts on superheroes if you haven't caught on by that point by this point uh and and i and when it comes and once again when uh the biggest complaint coming out of them nowadays coming out of them nowadays is they're everywhere it's another superhero movie i'm so sick of superhero movies i hear that a lot especially um one of the co-hosts of the local of a local radio show uh the alan cox show i listen to uh uh the main, you know, it's normally the female co-host, be it uh, one of the guests or the main one they have on there. Uh, she is very much not a fan of superheroes for the most part. Like she, she'll enjoy, she enjoys some superhero movies as long as they're not the usual formulaic ones. But she has so tuned in on on the formula that they all follow that, and the characters don't keep her attention. They don't make her focus on that aspect of it rather than the overall story. She's just seeing same, you know, same story, different costume. And that's a big complaint that a lot of people have. I mean, most there's so many people that have that exact complaint that it's all the same story with different colored costumes. And I think it's unfair because you could say that about every you could say that about every western. Oh, it's just some dude in the cowboy hat again. Why do I gotta li- why do I gotta watch this? Oh, it's just, you know fantasy. Oh, some old guy with a beard and a, and a and a cloak and some some dudes in swords and armor. Why do I got why does you could say that about romances? Oh, it's just two hot people making out. What do I do? So yeah, it's it's unfair to just label that against superheroes when it's every genre. But the superhero fatigue is real. People are starting to see return on not a re- return on investment because the fans are still showing up in theaters. I mean, Black Panther I think was the highest grossing movie of all time in America at last I checked. But and Avengers, I th- Avengers Infinity War I think was the highest grossing in the world. To a, uh, I don't know about adjusted for inflation though, but yeah. So I mean, the fans are still going to enjoy them, but. There is definitely a there is a backlash brewing. Whether it, I think, when it comes to fruition, is when they finally start to see a return on investment. They stop seeing that return on investment when the movies stop being good enough to 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 lose your attention. And the fact that, and of course, the other thing is, if you're not a fan, it's everywhere. That's mar- the marketing aspect of it just plows it. Every, on every on every available surface that they can on magazines on 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 toys on on on, on TV and commercials on billboards in the theaters before a new movie you're going to see a superhero movie more than more than likely because they're going to be pushing that so the fact that it's, they shove it in your face hey are you going to watch our thing hey you're going to watch our thing hey you're going to watch our thing hey you're going to watch our thing yeah that can get annoying i absolutely understand that that would be annoying, no matter what it is. It, 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 it could be they could be pushing My Little Pony, and if Hasbro was coming, in, hey, you gonna watch this? Hey, you gonna watch this? Hey, 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 you gonna watch this? You watching it yet? Why aren't you watching it? 
please watch this. Watch it. 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 Yeah. Uh, if if that was your experience with superhero movies, then yeah, I can understand you not being a fan. So I I've I think I was more adamant because I am the fanboy. Uh, not just of Marvel, but of just superheroes in general. That when somebody comes in and says uh, says talks smack, that I'm like, Ex- um, excuse me, hello, yo, coming in. I, I've had, I do have, to, I feel the need to step in, but now I've gotten to the point where it's like, no, I got it. No, I totally get it. You know, I don't feel the same way, but I absolutely see where you're coming from, and you're not wrong. So once again, most of the problems with superhero movies and superhero media comes from. Let's face it, late-stage capitalism. And so many, a lot of the problems we have with stuff tends to come from late-stage capitalism. This is is a socialist podcast now. This is no longer a movie review podcast. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, Yeah. Anyway. uh, As for superheroes, yeah, the criticisms aren't invalid. I think that's the problem is that fans of anything, you see this a lot of times, some criticisms are valid, like the ones I mentioned, and then some aren't. Some aren't, like freaking Bill Maher. He was clearly not making a valid criticism. He was do- he was making a snarky comment in bad faith. So the ones that come, the ones that come in, like the the only way that we can improve is to listen to constructive criticism. So if somebody's putting out a flaw. It shouldn't be a problem as long as they're coming from an angle of, hey, something's wrong with this thing. You should probably fix that. And I think people are so insular, they don't like to hear that the thing that they they like or the thing that they put this effort into could could improve. So it's like, well, it's mine now. Well, I made it. So improve it. I put all this effort into it. And it's got to be better. What do you want from me? There's that definitely that defensiveness when it comes to these things, but hey, the only way to improve is to look at what's not working and make it better. And the only way to do that is to listen to people with who have, who can bring you that information. So yeah, um, I've been going on for for a while now. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to keep my thoughts focused as much as I can. But yeah, I think what it comes down, I think well. Ultimately, what it comes down to is comic books, uh, comic books specifically have kind of recaptured my imagination as an adult. And I wish I could afford them because, damn, they're an expensive hobby. Even if you want afford them digitally, like it's it's like a little um, it's like playing a video, a mobile game and you get constant micro charges. So like every week you get in, every week. If you want to keep up, you got to pay four ninety nine, five ninety nine, one ninety nine, ninety nine cents. Ding, 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 ding. And you have to. And you would have to, unless you have, uh, an, uh, an, you know, a much more um, pool of money that you can spend on them, you're not going to be, you're going to have to budget them out or you're going to have to not buy anything or you're going to have to budget yourself so that you only afford like one comic a week or maybe even a comic a month. But yeah, it's, it, I, I really do love the genre just because there's so much of it that, uh, Captures my imagination. I love the visuals. I love the stories that tend to be told, and I love the fact that you and you have these iconic characters that inspire you. And unless they're written badly, they won't they won't disappoint you. Unless there there's some writer who comes in and just ruins them for you, 
like um, Joe Quesada did for Spider Man for a lot of people, and uh, one more one one more day. Um, unless something like that happens, then you can return to that character and still feel that you know feel those insp- feel that inspiration coming from them, which is why. For me personally, my favorite characters are Captain America. Uh, he's been, he's I think part of that is through Chris Evans's performance, and part of it is through the writing, and ob- obviously, and I think just because that's the kind of re- inspirational sort of ideal we should live up to. Uh, similarly, Superman, Superman, and Captain America are like the ideals to live up to, and you sh- and you should hopefully become a, any as good as you can compared to them. Become the kind of people that they would approve of. And I think that's why I despise the DCEU so much is that I do like Superman. I loved Superman. And everyone's like, well, he's such a Boy Scout. we got to make him realistic. As though people with good intentions don't exist. And that's the whole point is that he's, of course, he's going to be a Boy Scout. He was raised by these two, you know, these really two nice people in Kansas who told him how to be a good person. So, yeah, he wants to be a good person just like his parents taught him. Ugh. So many people try to try to obfuscate what makes Superman great, and it's such a and it's such a pain to try and just just give me a Superman who got who I can look up to for a change instead of a Superman I have to look at and be like, ugh, you again. Ugh. Anyway, uh, and then the other one would be uh, Green Lantern. I think I like the Green Lantern core and the Green Lantern concept so much, and. And unfortunately, it seems like he, nobody has really been outside of the show, which I hear good things about. That the short-lived uh, D, uh, Cartoon Network show they had. Outside of that, uh, Green Lantern has never been able to shine forth on his own in uh, media. But I think what, it, but I think the concept behind it is so wonderful, and the character, and the fact that it's such a diverse group of characters. Like literally anybody could be Green Lantern. Because Green Lantern is the costume. It's the co- name of the core. It's like basically saying you're a cop. And the fact that they've included so many walks of life to be involved. To be a to be part of the Green Lantern core. Is such a great. Uh, it's such a great way to diversify comics. And, that, and, it's, and it does it in a way that people aren't going to get mad. Like the way that they made Spider-Man. They had a Spider-Man character uh, played by a black and puerto rican kid so so that you know so we can't give spider-man a new person new character to play him thankfully miles morales has come around on a lot of people and he's shown to be a, a phenomenal character in his own right but yeah i think the thankfully the green lantern core you could include just about anybody and and make them a green lantern and people wouldn't get upset outside of you know reactionaries and douchebags uh and then as for villains like Loki, I think MCU Loki has really solidified my love for him. Uh, Joker, obviously, mainly Mark Hamill Joker. And then Teen Titans Slade. Uh, Slade Wilson from the Teen Titans show is, um, is re- is, was such a phenomenally written and executed villain. And he, all without really referencing the bigger DC universe as a whole, because he's a character... From the wider DC universe, so, he, but he was so self-contained in that, and there was never really any. There's like one reference to Batman, and like, and 
all none of the other, like that's the thing. Teen Titans have always included like Supergirl, Wonder Girl, uh, Kid Flash. Young Justice is more akin to what Teen Titans in the comics was, whereas the Teen Titans in the show were all the original ones without any ties to the outer DC universe, which is an interesting choice. It kind of makes it insular, but it, it allowed it to not it allowed it to not be beholden to these iconic characters and to tell its own stories. Um. So yeah, I, and then of course the favorite, my favorite story is arguably the best superhero story, Watchmen by Alan Moore. It is a complete, you know, for fans of the comic. I mean, for the, for people who aren't fans, it's a solid story. For people who are fans of comic books, it cover it deconstructs so much comic book history in a way that is really well designed and written. Something that Shyamalan clearly is aiming for was aiming for with Israel's one seven seven, but ultimately couldn't uh execute as well just because alan moore for as bonkers as he is and the dude is just you know just all the way out in left field he does have for the most part he does have amazing stories to tell and the reason he's so well regarded and watchmen is part of that because it, it takes the long and storied history of comic books up to that point and deconstructs almost all of it in a way that is really compelling to read. And sadly, Zack Snyder couldn't bring any of that to life. And maybe somebody could. Somebody who knows how to not do just panel for panel recreations. And actually bring, and actually do more to bring forth those characters. But, you know, even with a mediocre movie adaptation. The, the story is still amazing. And definitely deserving of reading. Uh... So yeah, I think that about I think that about covers it. That's about all I have to say on on superheroes. But yeah, I just I do love superheroes and I want superheroes superhero media to be good, but uh, you know, but I you know, even if it's mediocre, I'll still give it a shot just because I like I just like superpowers and superheroes and the whole the whole genre as a whole. It's 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 really it's just it just hits me, scratches me right where I itch, you know. So, with that, with that, with that out of the way, let's start uh, going into our regular segments. First up, with the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right, looking at the box office this weekend, uh, we got a couple dropping out of the top seven. Bumblebee and Mary Poppins have dropped out now. And uh, we've got two, pre- actually two premieres. Uh, one I actually didn't get the chance to see uh, is in the top seven, but we'll get to that. Uh, so at number seven, we've got Escape Room, which brought in $5.2 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $40.7 million and it's for and combined with the foreign uh, gross worldwide opening well, worldwide, a couple of weeks at $53.7 million. So, yeah, on a $9 million budget, this is a wild success. So I would def- I'm definitely going to expect more Escape Room uh, from Sony down the line. Uh, next up, dropping down from number three to number six is A Dog's Way Home, which brought in $7 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $21 million and its worldwide gross up to $26 million. So... Once again, it made back its budget. It's got a little bit longer to go to make back it make back the marketing, and then it'll, I'm sure it'll be enough money. Like people, people, it's cheap enough that enough people went to see it, and it was successful. So whatever. Uh, next up, 
Dropping down from number four to number five is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, still hanging in there. Brought in $7.2 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross up to $158 million, and its worldwide gross up to $322 million. And I wish it was doing better. I wish Venom wasn't the more successful one, but I'm glad this is proven to be wildly successful in its own right. Because it is well-deserving of it. It is truly the best animated movie to come out last year. And arguably the best Spider-Man movie to ever come out. Uh, Dropping down from number two to number four is Aquaman, which brought in $10 million this weekend. Bringing its domestic gross up to $304 million. And its worldwide gross over a billion. $1.06 billion this weekend. uh, By this weekend. So after after a little over a month, Aquaman's a billion-dollar movie. So congratulations, you did good. You did a good. Meanwhile, premiering at number three is a movie I completely neglected. I didn't think it was going to be this big, but we've got Dragon Ball Super Broly, which is a remake of um, of a mo- of an old Dragon Ball Z movie, uh, with uh, from like I think the two thousands or something, uh, Super Saiyan Broly, but set in the Dragon Ball Super universe. Um, let me check its budget, but. Actually managed to make a decent amount of money this weekend. Let me see. I may have to check that out when I get the... Ch- if I may have to check that out if it's still in theaters. Uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly cost $8 million to make. Meanwhile, it's brought in $10 million this weekend... And has a domestic gross of $21 million and a worldwide gross so far of $86.9 million. So, people, <laughs> Dragon Ball it, Z, Dragon Ball Super has proven viable in the, in the, um, because it premiered on Wednesday, actually. So it had $10 million from Friday to Saturday, but it had an extra $10 million going back to Wednesday. So people were people were checking out. So all the Dragon Ball fans came out for Broly, and I'll have to check it out myself. I'm not, I've never got into Dragon Ball, so I'm sure it'll be decent. En- I'm sure it'll be decent enough. People seem to. I mean, it's got an 80 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I mean, even the critics are saying, "Hey, this is a solid movie." So I'll have to check it out myself. Uh, num- next up, uh, the upside dropped from number one to number two. Brought in 15.6 million dollars this weekend. Bringing its domestic gross up to $43.9 million and its worldwide gross up to $48 million. So it made back its budget, but once again, I'm not sure how much, like, that's a $30 million budget. It's probably going to have to make at least 20. Uh, uh, It's actually, so yeah, it actually looks like it's about to make, it's about to break even, but it's not all that successful. It's probably why they stuck it out in January. I don't think it would have done successful anywhere else. Uh, And then premiering at number one. You know, not surprisingly, is Glass, which opened with $40.5 million, easily doubling its $20 million budget and and doubling it again with the foreign markets, which 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 uh, led to an, a weekend opening of $89 million worldwide. So people are still fans of this. They wanted to check it out for themselves. We'll see if the drop how bad the drop off is after this weekend. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I doubt it'll be that bad. It won't be as steep as some of the others. Like uh, Aquaman, Aquaman, no, that's after five weeks. Uh, Twenty, Yeah, 20%. They usually dips by about the 20% line. We'll see how, how low it drops after this weekend. But, hey, 
It made back its budget in spades. So so good for it. And you know, we'll see if Shyamalan decides to continue it or not. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. You know, keen on him continuing it story wise, but success wise, he definitely has the incentive to. All right, that does that takes care of the box office report. So, uh, what the week that was now the, the week we covered the week that was. Let's take a look to the week ahead in trailer talk. Coming this summer. It's trailer talk. Rated R starts Friday. We've got two new releases coming out this weekend. Uh, one that I didn't realize was coming out this early, uh, and the other that was a, I believe, a carryover from last year. I have to double check again. But first up, we've got the kid who would be king. So we're ending January off on a kids' movie. Fun, fun, fun. So let's take a look at that trailer. Thanks, Mom. A lamb mm. is only as good as its leaders. Somebody help me! Hey, leave him alone. A true yeah, that's the other part. Brave and noble. Don't be a hero. I'm the king around here. You have more battles yet. To What's the emphasis on kings? I thought we were over kings. Now you must choose. What you stand for. Hey, there's a sword there. Wanna touch it? Put it into Google Translate. It means sword of Arthur. What if you're the only person who could have pulled that sword out? What if it's Excalibur? Ah, Studio that brought you night at the museum. I am Merlin. I thought Merlin was supposed to be an old man. An ingenious disguise, don't you think? Oh, Patrick Stewart. Who is the actress that plays Morgana? I don't recognize her. Is she somebody I know? There's your sword back, and good luck with everything. This kid humor is going to be the death. And Percy Jackson. Oh, great! Oh, great! Tied into Percy Jackson. Great. You know, that successful franchise. Quick, Bettis. Lift up the flaps. Oh my god, you're such a nerd. This is destiny. I I hate that. I hate that. I hate when it's dialogue delivered off screen because they wanted to conclude in the trailer. Just include the scene, damn it. And they find out they're descended from magical families. Mom, don't freak out, okay? The legend comes to life. Like never before. Okay, wait. If a car can run through one of them, also, who, what what parliament what parliament would allow a child to be the king? Oh yeah, you know the racing game that doesn't include the stick shift and the emergency brake. Yeah, yeah, that's where you learned. How- it's a stupid like like unless Mario Kart includes a manual stick yo stick stick gear and an emergency brake in the arcades then what then what the the joke is bad 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 joke god god i can't stand this movie uh i i just this is like every bad kids movie that parents dread taking their kids to uh 
So yeah, we'll see if it, if it's just bad marketing or if it's going to be uh or if it is it's going to be as bad as its trailer. Who's the uh is it Rebecca Ferguson? Rebecca Ferguson is going to be playing uh Morgana in this from the Mission Impossible franchise. Uh the love interest Ilsa, I believe. No, not the love interest. Um she's like the friend. Uh so yeah, Rebecca Ferguson's going to be playing Morgana, and then oh yeah, that's right. She was uh, the greatest showman uh, as uh, the opera singer, I think. So yeah, it's it's. I really am not looking forward to this. I just think it's such a cliche-looking, really bad kids movie, and the fact that it's being released in January doesn't help matters. So yeah, uh, with that one out of the way, let's take a look at the other one, which is one I'm actually looking forward to, Serenity. Uh, it's a uh, it, – sorry, I saw the, one of the uh, advertised YouTube videos is Angry Joe and Jeremy Johns, two guys I have completely lost interest in. So I don't know why they're being recommended to me. Um, anyway, let's take a look at that new trailer for Serenity in relation to the Joss Whedon movie of the same name. There is a place You can escape your past Feels like we've all been here forever As long as you follow What's this? Just a little scratch Every rule Please don't kill that man What? I will give you $10 million. On January 25th. My husband in the ocean for the sharks. There's right and wrong. Truth. Lies. Beneath. Weird stuff. The surface. This whole island's a part of it. But nobody knows it. Okay, John, you want the truth? You don't. Academy Award winner Matthew McConaughey, Anne Hathaway, N- Diane Lane, Jumon Hansu, and Jason Clark. Hey, it's funny, huh? Where in the world are we? Okay, so there's a lot more, um... I want you to drop them in the there's a lot more, like, um... Supernatural stuff going on in this, too. So it looks... I didn't notice that the first time. So, yeah, this should be interesting. I'll have to check it out. Um, I'll have to pay attention to that. See how it plays out that way. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I love the concept when it was just the thriller, but now there's going to be some, looks like there's going to be something supernatural in it as well. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how how it uh, plays out um, in theaters this weekend. But that does it for the trailer talk segment, which means we're almost done with the episode, which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GummyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, be sure to favorite us on your web browser and whitelist us in your ad blocker. And also check out all of our other fine programming on Gubby Cat Networks. We've got so much great stuff going on for you. Uh, the brand new episode of Living in the Stacks premiered already about uh, when the Emperor was divine. We're going through historical fiction this time. So if you want to keep, if you want to 
listen to our thoughts on that. You can do so and then hear what we – and then by, at the end hear what we're going to be covering next time. And then be sure to check out uh, Odd Vegas, our our founder's uh, podcast on her job at at uh, Las Vegas Oddities. Uh, all the cool stuff Donna's doing at Snarkasts. And then if you're a podcaster as well and you want to join our fine network, you can do so by sending us a message at gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com. And we'll see if you can if you're a right fit for our little podcast family. Uh, if you're listening to us on your on the go uh, or through your various podcast providers, you can do, uh, we're available through uh, Apple. Uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, so many places. And once I get some cash flow coming in, I'm going to see if I can uh, try to introduce Podbean as well. And if you and if you like the show and you want people to like check it out as well, be sure to leave a five star rating and review and let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. I repeated myself there, but I don't care. <laughs> uh, and then uh, if you want to share us on your social media, you can. Our social media home is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. Our, uh, tw- you know, we're, I'm on t- Twitter at cornjunkiepod. I'm on uh, Instagram at popcornjunkiepodcast. And then I'm on uh, uh, Stardust. I forgot the name there for a second. At Popcorn Junkie. So if you want to catch a a teaser of my thoughts going into the next episode. You can follow me there and come join us on Stardust. We have so many, we're so many cool people giving their reactions to stuff from trailers to new, to TV shows, to movies, new releases, old releases, whatever it is. Um, you can come check us out on Stardust and, you know, follow me, follow all the cool people there and leave some yourself. You know, we're having fun on Stardust. You should too. And then if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, any feedback you want to give, any kind of corrections you want me to make, if there's any sort of, if you have any differences of opinion, maybe you love the uh the glass maybe you loved glass maybe you uh hated the favorite whatever your thoughts if you want had any you know interesting points you wanted to make on why you like superheroes or don't like superheroes whatever your thoughts are you can send those to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com and as long as you leave a, a your your explicit permission in either the subject or the or the message body i will be sure to read i'll be sure to read it out on the podcast and otherwise i'll just paraphrase it and uh we can continue the conversation that way so um send all that to popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com and that does it for this week's episode until next time i'm john bailey and i've managed to survive the the martin luther king day blizzard of 2019 for now The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. <laughs>